So week after week, people gather together in buildings all around the world on different days. And they gather to give the message of their religion or spirituality or their organization. Uh, Some will herald a message of self-help. Here are 15 steps to becoming a better you. Others will preach a message of political action. Vote this way and everyone's life will be better. Don't cry. Others (laughs) preach uh, of complete isolation, of staying away from everyone so that you're not tarnished by the world, while others speak of a message of the divinity that is within everyone. Some point to the good that the church can do in society, and others... uh, the evils of society, the list and the variety of what is proposed from pulpits all around the world is vastly diverse. The message that we proclaim regularly and hopefully consistently is that we all need help and that our help comes from God in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. This is, in essence, the message that John the Baptist proclaimed. Now, we have a limited amount of time this morning to study our passage, and so we're not going to be able to touch on everything of John the Baptist's message from all the different Gospels. Uh, We're going to have to stick mostly to the Gospel of John and touch on the basics of what John has proclaimed in this text. Before we read our text this morning for a second time, I want to uh, provide just a touch of background of John the Baptist. There will be more of this discussion tonight in our uh, discussion groups at 6 o'clock, so come on out tonight and enjoy some healthy conversation about these texts. But John the Baptist's birth story is interwoven with the birth story of the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly in the Gospel of Luke. Um, God called John the Baptist to be a forerunner, a forerunner for Jesus and Jesus' ministry, the ministry of the Messiah. John would be a preparer of the hearts and minds of people to see who Jesus really is to see who Jesus really um, was, and to demonstrate what Jesus was really going to accomplish. John the Baptist's ministry was bold, and it was effective. Crowds of people from all over that region went out to hear John preaching a message of repentance. You can almost hear I think, if you've read Scripture enough, you can almost hear the echo of John the Baptist's message in the back of your head. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king was there, so the kingdom was near. It's an amazing thing. Many, many people were baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. And because of this overwhelming response... Many wondered 
if John the Baptist was in fact the Messiah? Was he it? Therefore, the Pharisees and other religious leaders sent delegates to question John. So that's where we are. John's already made an impact. People are already coming to him. They're hearing this message. They're being baptized as a preparatory phase for the coming of the Messiah. They've repented. They recognize their sinners. It's an amazing thing. Not everyone will admit that. They saw their sin and they said, my solution is not in me. So now, the people are coming to John to question him, and they're coming as delegates of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. So that's where we pick up our reading. We'll read the first section together. John chapter 1, verses 19-28. through 28. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The Pharisees wanted to know who Jesus was. He immediately denies that he himself was special. This is not about me. I'm simply the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a preacher pointing to someone else. This other one that I'm pointing to, I'm not even worthy of touching his shoes. So John was very much deferring away from himself and instead pointing to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so here's his message. In these first few verses, we notice that John's message is that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. You see it very clearly in the first three verses, 19, 20, and 21. Who are you? I am not the Christ. The the Christ is the, the Greek term is Christos. It's the equivalent of the Hebrew term Mashiach. It means anointed. I am not the anointed one spoken of in the Old Testament. And I'm not the fulfillment of the Anointed One here in the New Testament. Now the, the three offices that were anointed in the Old Testament were the prophets, the priests, and the kings. They were all anointed. And that was the Messianic office would encompass a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was all three, prophet, priest, and king. And so John says, I am not the Messiah. I'm not even, I'm not Elijah. Now, Jesus had said about 
John the Baptist, that he is Elijah if you will have him be. In other words, the message that John the Baptist was proclaiming was similar to the message that would have come from Elijah, that people would not look to themselves and not look to their circumstances, but look up to the God of the universe. And so he's not the Christ, and he's not the, um, the prophet Elijah, and he's not even the prophet. Now that's just code. Deuteronomy 18, Moses said, there's a a prophet that's going to come and the people will hear you. The prophet in Deuteronomy 18. John says, I'm not the prophet either. I'm none of these. I'm just a voice. I'm just a herald. And I'm not, not telling people about me. I'm not telling people about what I have to offer. I'm telling them about my Savior. I'm telling them about this Messiah. I'm telling them that there's forgiveness of sin available to them from God. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. Who are you? Verse 22. Who are you then? Because we've got to give an answer. We've got to give an answer to who, who you are. Verse 22 the people sent us. We've got to give them something. I'm just a voice. And he quotes Isaiah, letting you know that he understands that his ministry is this ministry from Isaiah chapter 40. What was his job? It was to make straight the way of the Lord. Don't look at me. Don't worship me. Don't even follow me. Look at the one I'm preaching about. He really is essentially saying, I want you to be ready to meet God. Now, why do I say that? Well, back in Isaiah 40, I want, I want for us uh, to, to see it. It'll be on the screens. We're not going to turn there. We just have lack of time when we celebrate the Lord's table together. It's difficult to, to do all of this. So we have to utilize the screens for some of these Scripture texts. But when a king would come into town, do you want to have trash in the streets? Do you want them, as they're coming in in their chariot, to be running through the potholes? Or to have to go up a steep, steep hill? Or down a steep, steep valley? No, what they want to do is make sure that there's a smooth pathway for the king to come into the city so that his uh, trip in would be uh, acceptable to his royalty. Well, what John was doing was not making sure there was no trash in the streets and not making sure there were no potholes in the streets. He was saying, I want you to be ready to meet this one that's coming. I want to make a straight pathway. And so this is what we see here in Isaiah 40 in verse 3. Again, it'll be on the screens to my left and right. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the... What does that say? I want you to notice there that I made sure that it was uh, correctly reflected there. Those are all capitalized. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is a Hebrew word, Yahweh, which is not the same as, say, uh, Adonai. Adonai would be Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d, master. Yahweh is the self-existent one, Jehovah God. He says, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight, uh, the, uh, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And so there's this emphasis of John the Baptist's ministry. He was proclaiming that the one that was coming was not just some great 
teacher or some great entity. This is the Lord Himself. The self-existent One. This is the One who is from age to age. The Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. The One who spoke the world into existence. Make straight the way of the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ that John the Baptist was proclaiming. He is in fact God. He's the second person of the triune Godhead. He's essentially saying to them, I need to prepare the way because you are not okay the way you are. Something is wrong. That's what's implied by repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Something is wrong. Something is interrupting your reception of this Messiah that's been promised since Genesis chapter 3. You're not ready. What you need to do is to recognize that you're not ready. So he proclaimed this message of a need to change. But you know what's so great? He's about to proclaim how that change comes. He doesn't say... Simply, you need to repent and fix yourself. Repent. There's someone coming who will take care of this. Repent. I have someone to proclaim to you. Look at verses 24 and 25. They've been sent from the Pharisees. Verse 25, Then they asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? In other words, what authority do you have Why is it that you think since you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, and you're not uh, the prophet, why do you have the right to baptize? Well, he answers that in verses 26 and 27. He answered, I baptize with water to prepare. But among you stands one you do not know. And I would say you do not yet know. Even he who comes after me, the, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. There's a greater one coming. I'm baptizing you with water, this baptism of of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But he did this in preparation for the greater one who was going to come and baptize not with water, but later on in the text he's going to tell us he's going to baptize you with the Spirit. You know, anyone can get baptized in water. You know what water does? It makes you wet. Same for you, same for me. Anyone that gets baptized with water when they're done, they're wet. It doesn't mean anything changed. But if you're baptized by the Spirit, supernatural baptism, you could could say this is related to the topic or the doctrine of regeneration. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to His mercy that He saved us through the washing of water and regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Life. When the Spirit baptizes, this is real and this is eternal. What a difference. John the Baptist was a message of water baptism. Jesus' message was that I'm going to actually make you alive. You're going to go from literally spiritually dead to literally spiritually alive. Whereas to be baptized with water may be a reflection of that reality. But it may not actually It does not, in fact, produce that reality. The Spirit does, in fact, produce that reality. Well, if they had a sin problem, and they did, and quite frankly, we all do, then what is the solution? What did they need? And this is the next part of John's 
message. Look at verse 29 where he's going to start to proclaim that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. This is the second part of his message. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the Savior. He starts his proclamation. Jesus is walking toward him, and he says, Behold! In the Greek, it's idei. Idei. It means look. Look. Perceive. Understand. See with your eyes and see with your inner heart. See. Look. It's the Lamb of God who takes away. Not once. and needs a repetition. But once for all time. Hebrews chapter 9 and 10 are very clear on the sacrifice of Christ being a once for all sacrifice. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look to Him. Look. Don't look this way. Look that way. He's the Lamb. Now the Lamb would be very obviously a symbolism that the people of those days would understand. Obviously, He's making implication toward the sacrificial system of the Mosaic Law. They would regularly bring lambs and bullocks and rams to, to, to offer on behalf of sin offerings and trespass offerings and peace offerings. And of course, uh, particularly on the, the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, they would bring their sacrifice and it would be offered for the sins of the people. And it was repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated. Can you say it? And repeated year after year because the blood of bulls and goats and lambs cannot take away forever the sin of mankind. But there is a lamb, one lamb. His name is Jesus. And he perfectly lived for us. And he laid his life down as a once for all perfect and final sacrifice for our sin. He is the propitiation, the settlement of God's wrath against our sin. This is what Jesus is. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John doesn't develop this in his message, but uh, in the rest of the New Testament, helps us to understand that Jesus Christ's death was a final and perfect sacrifice for sin. Through the shedding of His blood, God forever removes the sin of those who come to Him. Behold, it might remind you of a an Old Testament account when the people were, had been stricken by a poisonous snake or snakes. And God told Moses to craft this serpent, this bronze serpent, and hold it up on a pole. What did they have to do? What did they have to do? Look. And what would happen? They would live. It's very similar to what John the Baptist is proclaiming here, look, 
here in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, here there is life. Look and live. Look to Him. You'll have both forgiveness. Look to Him. You'll have life. Life that can't be taken. John proclaims this Savior to be superior to Him in verse 30. We saw this last week in just a few very very shortly. In verse 30 it says, After me comes one who ranks before me. Why? Because he was before me. Well, you know that that's not true. <laughs> Ish. <laughs> Why do I say that? Because John the Baptist actually predates Jesus' human birth by six months. However, Jesus is eternal because He's the second person of the triune God. So I'm not saying that John is lying. I'm not saying that the Word of God is not true. What I'm saying is there's some tension here, and that is that John the Baptist actually was birthed before the Lord Jesus Christ was birthed, but Jesus as the one who spoke the world into existence predates him because he is the ancient of days. It's amazing. God throws these little things to, to, to warp our minds a little bit. This is not human. This is no, no human would, would depict it and describe it this way. This is part of, the, of understanding the divinity and the inspiration of God. Uh, God's proclamation. The, the Word of God is breathed out by inspiration. Therefore, we see the truthfulness. We understand that God is proclaiming something that our minds would never know unless God revealed it. John says that his message was to bring something to pass in verse 31. Look at verse 31. I myself did not know Him, Jesus, but, uh, or the, the Messiah but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that He might be, will you read it with me? Revealed to Israel. The unveiling. The, the term manifestation. I didn't know to the full extent everything that Jesus is and was. But through the proclamation, through, through the the message granted to me as I proclaimed it. It was to let the, the whole of Israel understand that this man Jesus was far more than just a man, but He is the very Christ and the Savior of the world. He's saying that this was to make sure that all of Israel would know this and be aware of it. John also teaches that this identification wasn't just um, something that he came across, but it was divinely given. Look at verses 32 and 33. John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So here we have a small development of the teaching on the Trinity. The Father reveals a message to John. John sees the symbol, the dove, the symbol of the Holy Spirit. Its presence resting upon the second person of the triune Godhead, Jesus. This is just amazing. So Father revealing a message, the Spirit descending and remaining upon Jesus. The, the, the concept of the, the three-in-one trinity are throughout Scripture in various places. But this is just a further development of this. This Savior, Jesus, 
continues in this eternal union. It didn't start when he was birthed. It's an eternal union that started before the foundation of the world and lasts for eternity. He is the eternally in union with the Father. There's one last element of John's message that we want to take notice of this morning. And that is that Jesus is the Son of God. Look at verse 34. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. It should be noted that this expression, Son of God, declares Jesus to be equal with the Father. You can see it later on in the Gospel of John. Take a look at the screens to my left and right. John chapter 5 and verse 18. When Jesus had proclaimed Himself to be God as His Father, it says this, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him, because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was calling God His own Father, making Himself equal with God. So John's preaching is not vanilla. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like um, you know, flowery and uh, super sweet, is it? He, he comes in and he's preaching a message of repentance. You need to turn. Repentance for the forgiveness of sin. There is a Savior who comes and He's available. There He is. Look at Him. You can look and live. There's, there's a, the, the removal of your sin forever found in Him. He is the divine Son of God. His preaching was bold. His preaching was effective. And it really stirred up the crowd, particularly the religious leaders. You know, His preaching also upset Herod. You remember that? The ruler of that region. His ministry was an affront to Herod's desires to marry someone. Um, So John was so uh, hated in that circumstance that he was thrown into prison. I think this is important, so just bear with me for a couple of moments here. It was during these days of John the Baptist being thrown into prison. Remember, he's bold. He's pointing away from himself. He's declaring Jesus to be the Messiah. He says, I'm not worthy even to touch his his shoes. He must increase, I must decrease. We know all these things from his ministry. And yet here he is, finds himself thrown in prison. And he experienced what you might call a crisis of faith. There he is in prison saying, what in the world? (laughs) I gave all of my time, all of my life, To proclaim Jesus the Messiah. And this is what I know about the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come in. He's going to bring in this golden age of peace. There would be no no Roman Empire ruling over us. And certainly I'm not going to be thrown into prison. There he is in prison, frustrated and concerned. So he sends two of his disciples to go see Jesus. He says, are you the one? Or should we look for another? Now, this is so telling. This is one of the many reasons why I love and worship God and Jesus, who is God. When Jesus heard the questioning of John the Baptist, now if you heard the questioning of John the Baptist and you were the one, you'd be like, dude, haven't you seen all the things I've done? Have you heard all the things I've done? You get pretty upset. 
But Jesus, as is always His way, when those um, He speaks in a way that no one else can, He speaks with kindness, He essentially says to John, everything, everything that you thought I was going to do among you, I am doing. I am the Messiah. Listen to these words. They're on the screen to my left and right. Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who was not tripped up, offended by me. John, everything you thought I was going to do, I'm doing. I'm the Messiah. Those are kind words. He responded to questioning with a revelation of who He is. Then the disciples go away and Jesus starts to talk about John the Baptist behind His back. You know what He said? I'll just summarize it with one statement. Verse 11. Among those born of women, there has arisen, arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. This is the one that just sent delegates questioning him. And Jesus said, this man was set aside for the glory of God and the proclamation of truth. So I want you to think about it like this. Even the boldest of Jesus' disciples can have moments of doubt or weakness. And yet this does not change Jesus' stance toward us. If you ever have doubts arise within you, there's a tendency to try to find some kind of a remedy. And I would have a suggestion for you. If you ever have doubts arise within you about the Lord, about who He is, about what's going on inside of you, I would say this, rather than focusing on the quality and quantity of your faith, focus on the quality and capacity of your God. Look. Look. Behold. Look at Him. Most of our problems arise when we spend too much time looking this way. And I want to tell you, look this way. But look this way in order to look that way. Look this way for a moment and spend a lot of time looking that way. He is trustworthy. He is sturdy. He is capable. The more you behold who He really is, the more confident you will be in His care and provision for you. And how has He provided for us most fully? He's provided for us in that He sent His Son into the world to offer full, final forgiveness of our sin in Christ. He sent His Son as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so I ask you, have you trusted Him? Have you placed your life in His loving, forgiving, life-providing hands?